So what does our text here in Ruth teach us about waiting and waiting for that great day? Well, shockingly, I want to present three observations from our text. As I've been uh, thinking about our passage and reflecting on it over the last week or so, I I see three things here that I'd like to point out to you. And the first is godly patience, a godly patience. There are some people who, uh, I don't know, maybe it's their personality, just kind of the way they're wired. They just seem to be naturally patient, don't they? They just have the patience of Job. Maybe you've heard uh, that phrase before. They don't mind waiting. Now, this isn't everybody, but you occasionally find this person who's like, okay, you know, whatever. But that's not necessarily a good thing. This could be somebody who's lazy. This could be somebody who's afraid of change. This could be somebody who, for different reasons, just doesn't want anything to be any different. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not talking about a person who's wired a particular way, somebody who never wants to, to rock the boat. I'm talking about godly contentment. I'm talking about godly patience. And I think that there are things here in the text that point to uh, godly patience, what it means to have uh, not just patience, but godly patience. Well, since it's been a couple of weeks, uh, I don't want to just jump right into the text, but let me kind of refresh our memories a little bit. Chapter 3, if you'll recall, began with uh, Naomi's Really, it was a rather abrupt statement by her, her desire to seek what? You remember? Seek rest for Ruth. Should I not seek rest for you? Now, what does she mean by that? Ruth, you're working too hard. You need to stop. Let's give you a day off. No. Naomi and Ruth are in this situation where uh, Ruth is going out and gleaning in the field. She's gathering uh, barley, grain, and so uh, they've got enough to eat. But it's kind of a a day by day and a year by year. And if we have a good harvest, we'll have plenty to eat. But Naomi looks at her young daughter-in-law and says, There's got to be more for you. There's got to be more. You've got to have more from life than just mere subsistence. When we think back to... The first half of this book, we remember that Ruth is really a, a, a story of rescue. God rescuing two widows. They had lost their husbands. They were in a foreign country. And if you remember in that day, losing your husband uh, didn't just mean the loss of someone you dearly loved, but it meant the loss of provision. It meant the loss of protection, of, of representation, of your voice. Who's going to stand up for us? Who's going to speak for us? No one, if you're a widow. To make matters worse, uh, remember the the historical context here. This is the period of the judges. Uh, Not a good time in the history of Israel. Remember that little phrase that we find in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Why? Because there was no king. Naomi's husband is dead. And what that means is that everything her husband Elimelech had, his property, 
his good name, everything, his, his home is in jeopardy. Their two sons are dead. This is, this is a really uh, a story of rescue, not just from a terrible, terrible situation, but it's a story of a rescue from death all around Naomi and Ruth is death. But there's a glimmer of hope here. Ruth has made a commitment to her mother-in-law, and Ruth is a faithful, diligent worker. She's found a place to work, and this man Boaz comes into the story, and he tells her, hey, as long as you're willing to work, come in my field. You'll always have a place to come and glean and come and, and get grain. And so this is good. She and Naomi were destitute, but not any longer. They're, they're going to be okay. The Lord has provided sustenance for them. But is that all? Is this, is this it? I mean, is this indefinite? And Naomi longs for more for her daughter-in-law. And so she, she comes up with a, a plan which basically involves Ruth going to the threshing floor one night where she knows that Boaz will be working. You remember threshing the grain. You're, you're separating it from the, from the chaff, and you've got the, the good grain here and the chaff. And so this separation process takes place at the threshing floor. And so what does Ruth do? She goes and expresses her intentions to Boaz. She makes herself available to him. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Remember, uh, she had been a widow. She was in mourning, so she has this mourning period. And she basically communicates to him that this is over. I'm, I'm not mourning any longer, and I'm not really looking for anybody else but you. Maybe an unusual ritual to us. She goes to, to Boaz while he's asleep. She uncovers his feet. He wakes up startled. And when he discovers that it's Ruth and, and what her intentions are, he agrees to the proposal and they live happily ever after. That's not what happened, is it? That's what we wish would happen. That's, that would make for a great story, but... Oh, no, our story has to have some drama and some intrigue. And so here we are at the threshing floor at the moment in the story that is this climactic point of high drama. And Boaz does not tell Ruth yes. And he doesn't tell her no. He says, well, maybe. I'd, I'd like to, but, but this is complicated. Uh, someone else is involved. Uh, you're going to have to wait. And you and I love it when the Lord tells us that, don't we? Yes. <laughs> we get to wait. Sometimes we'd rather hear no, wouldn't we? At least we don't have to wait. And I can't help but wonder about Ruth as she is, is hearing this explanation. You know, what does her countenance look like? Uh, does she get disappointed? 
I mean, she had been given these instructions and this plan and, 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 and probably thinking, if you'll do this, this will all work out great. So how does Ruth take this, this news? You've got to wait. Is she anxious? Is she restless? Is she sad? How do you feel when the Lord says, You've got to wait. Well, I think there are three ideas here that are seen in our text that show us what godly patience looks like. It's pictured for us here in Ruth's response. And the first word that I want to, to point out to you is maintenance. Maintenance, you might think, that's a weird word. What are you talking about? Fixing the car, fixing the truck? Not talking about maintenance in that sense. What I mean is, whatever it is that you're doing, when the Lord says, wait, keep doing that. Maintain. Uh, if you're praying about something and the Lord doesn't give you a clear yes or a clear no, then just do what you're doing. This is what godly patience looks like. I want you to notice what Ruth does in verse 14. It says, So she lay at his feet until the morning. And you think, okay, so? Well, glance back up at verse 7, about halfway through that verse, and what do we see? Then she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. And the point that I want you to see here is that Ruth, after getting this news from Boaz, okay, you're going to have to wait what does she do? She goes right back to where she was before. She doesn't walk off upset. She doesn't try to argue with this thing out with him. Give me more explanation. So, what are we to take from that? I think that it's not wrong to pray about things. Not wrong to pray for a, for a new job or, or to pray for this or that or the other. But when the Lord says, wait, what are we to do? I, I talk to people sometimes and they, uh, they say, you know, well, I just quit my job. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm praying for a new job. I know the Lord doesn't want me there. Uh, okay, well, well, maybe he doesn't. But unless you're independently wealthy, most of us have to work to pay the bills. I just met this girl. We're getting married next week. Okay. That's not the kind of thing you need to rush into, is it? <laughs> but we don't like to wait. Hmm. When the Lord says wait, brothers and sisters, that usually means, okay, just keep doing what you're doing. Just maintain. Probably the Lord's using that job to shape you and mold you maybe he's using you there to to be a, a, a blessing to someone else there i don't know but unless there's something going on there that's sinful typically what we need to do is we need to maintain ruth remember she's left everything She's left her family, she's left her country, she's left her way of life, she's left her old gods that she's worshipped, and she's worked hard, 
She's been faithful. She's been diligent. No complaints. I go out every morning at, at the crack of dawn and I work till dark. And here I have been doing everything I'm supposed to do. And now you're telling me we have to wait. <laughs> Boaz says you have to wait. Naomi says you have to wait. Down in verse 18, Naomi tells her, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out so, so all ruth is hearing is wait she's been waiting <laughs> but while she's waiting what does she do she was at boaz's feet they have this conversation he explains she goes right back to boaz's feet she lays down for the rest of the night she maintains and that's what I think the Lord typically wants us to do in those instances where we, where we pray and we ask and God says, okay, but you've got to wait. Okay, well, then you just maintain. That's a sign of godly patience. The second word or idea that stands out here with regard to godly patience is the word obedience. Obedience. Now, we have talked about this before with regard to Ruth but I think it's worth noting again. We see there in verse 14, it tells us that Ruth lay down at, at Boaz's feet. But I want you to notice that she does this in response to his instruction in the previous verse, right? Did you see that? Boaz is the one who instructs her. And throughout this whole chapter 3, we see that Naomi uh, gives the plan to Ruth and Ruth follows it to the T. And Naomi says, now when you get there, Boaz is going to tell you what to do. You do exactly what he says. And that's what she does. She's characterized by obedience. So let me say this. If you're at a point where you don't know what to do, do what you know is right. If you're a father, be a godly father. Be a godly husband. Be a godly wife. Be a godly mother. Be a godly student if you're a student. A godly employee. While we're waiting on the Lord, uh, that doesn't give us the right to act impatiently and disobey what we know is right from God's word. What do we do while we're waiting? We continue to be faithful and obedient to what the Lord has told us. Ruth is such a beautiful picture here of, of humility and obedience. You notice she's at Boaz's feet. Uh, I think that's a, uh, a picture there of her submission to him. What does she call herself? I'm, I'm your servant. Remember when Boaz says, who, who was there? I am Ruth, your servant. And so while we're waiting, we humble ourselves and we continue on being faithful and obedient in the things that we know. We don't know everything, but I think that God wants us to be accountable, to be faithful to what we do know. Amen? <clears throat> that takes me to one, one last word with regard to a picture of godly patience, and that's the word assurance. Assurance. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to see here that as Ruth is waiting, she does so 
with confident assurance that the Lord is going to take care of this matter. Uh, let me see if I can explain a little better. Um, it says there in verse 18, we saw this before, Naomi says to Ruth, wait, my daughter. Now, something interesting about that exchange. This is not the first time that Naomi has used the word wait in her conversations with Ruth. If you go back to chapter 1, and if you remember there, uh, Naomi had made the decision to go back to Bethlehem, and Ruth and the other daughter-in-law, Orpah, are going to go with her. And Naomi says, oh, no, no, you don't want to go with me. You need to go back to your people. And they say, no, no, we want to go with you. And Naomi says, no, you don't want to go back with me. She says in verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? So what do we have here? A bit of irony. Here in our present passage, Naomi is saying, wait. But earlier she says, you can't wait. You don't need to wait. <laughs> now it's a different situation, isn't it? But in a way, it's not a different situation. The way Ruth is seeing it, let me tell you what I mean. Ruth has made a commitment back in chapter 1 that nothing is going to change her mind. She is going to the promised land with Naomi. And she does not make that commitment based on what she's going to get out of the deal. But she knows that the only way she'll ever have a husband is it's got to be somebody from the family for there to be a full redemption of the land and all the property and Elimelech, the husband's name, you've got to marry somebody in the family. And Ruth has said, I don't see any way that's going to happen, but I don't care. And so with confident and bold assurance, she goes ahead. I don't know exactly what I'm waiting for is Ruth back in chapter one, but I'll wait and maybe I won't get anything. But the Lord's going to take care of me. I am assured of that. He is the covenant God of Israel who takes care of his people. So I can rest in that. And she knows that she can trust in the Lord. Folks, whatever happens... Wherever you are, whatever it is you're waiting for, you can have great assurance that the Lord is going to take care of it. We may not know exactly what that's going to look like. In chapter 1, Ruth had no idea that what's happening in chapter 3 would ever take place. And you have no idea how God may intervene in your situation tomorrow or next week or next year. But He knows reading this week in in the book of exodus how people had been there for generations and they were crying out to god to come and save us 
And I love the way that it expresses there in that book. It says that God heard their cries and God knew. And wherever you are, if you're his, he knows. And you can trust him. You can be confident. You can have bold assurance. Hebrews 6.11 says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope. Until the end. Stay strong, brothers and sisters. The Lord's going to take care of you. Maintenance, obedience, and assurance pictured here in the life of Ruth as she patiently waits. A picture of godly patience. Secondly, I want to show you the priority of holiness. The priority of holiness in our Reading earlier from Second Peter chapter 3, uh, that's a passage that speaks of the day of the Lord. And, and it's very graphic, isn't it? How, how the elements are going to burn up and, and, and the planets and stars and everything's going to melt away. And we're waiting. And what should be our priority as we're waiting? Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Listen here. In lives of holiness and godliness. And the point that I want to make is this. While you're waiting, don't neglect holiness. Don't neglect your walk with the Lord. Stay close. Peter makes it clear that as we are waiting, there is to be a focus on Growth and sanctification and holiness. And I think this is pictured beautifully here in our story. There's a couple of things under this heading that I want you to see. And the first is what I'm calling holy actions. It's a little bit subtle and maybe you didn't catch it. But I, I think if I kind of hone in on it, I think you'll see it. Uh, look again at verse 14. It says, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And we might read that and think, well, she's being a little deceptive, isn't she? I mean, what's Ruth doing here? Now, to be sure, let me just kind of back up and remind you that this is a scene where certain improprieties did take place. With the festive attitudes and all that's going on with harvest and the threshing floor, that was a place where they would often meet and they would party and drink and carouse and there was licentiousness and improprieties. But there is nothing in the text to suggest that that was in any way Boaz and Ruth. Nevertheless, When it comes to Ruth's attention that others may think that about her, what does she do? She gets up. She gets up early. And she leaves. Because she wants to protect her reputation. Now, it's important for us to remember while we're waiting... Not to let our guard down, not to be lazy, not to be careless with regard to our walk with the Lord. 
we tend to get frustrated and get impatient in this waiting time. And so often I see people who let their guard down. They're careless. Maybe they're discouraged about waiting. Maybe they're not thinking clearly, but while we're waiting, the Lord makes it very clear to us that we need to continue to pursue Him. We need to continue to pursue holiness. And so whatever it is that we're doing in this interim period, we need to make sure that our actions are holy actions. While we're waiting does not give us the excuse to be careless and neglect personal holiness. I want you to see here that these holy actions by Ruth come about because of a holy plan. That's the second thing. A holy plan. I mentioned that Ruth's holy actions came about when she was aware of how they might be assumed by others. Now, how would she know? Well, remember, she's a foreigner. And all of this ritual and all these things that are taking place here in the story, uh, these are things unknown to her. Notice Boaz here in verse uh, 14, about halfway through. Uh, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, as we read that sentence, we may want to stop and ask, Okay, now who is he talking to? Does and Boaz said... Well, they're probably by themselves. And maybe he said this to Ruth, but that wouldn't make any sense, would it? To say to Ruth, uh, don't let it be known that a woman was... Well, he's not addressing her in the first person, so that doesn't make any sense. So who is Boaz talking to? And it appears that Boaz is talking to himself. Uh, if you break this down, I want to get into all the technicalities, but... But the commentators look at this and say, this is, this is something where Boaz is talking to himself. Maybe he said it out loud, maybe he didn't. But, but we could easily translate this, and Boaz thought. Boaz thought to himself, let it not be known that Ruth was here. And so what does this mean? Well, the impetus for Ruth's holy actions are Boaz's holy plans. He knows that there's a risk here of people thinking things about Ruth that aren't true. And, of course, he's got a lot on his mind, right? He's thinking about the day ahead. All right, I know what I've got to do. I've got to go into town. I've got to take care of this matter. I've got... But he's thinking about her right there in that moment. And he has a plan. And what I want us to see is that Boaz not only didn't take advantage of her, he could have. Uh, uh, remember, Ruth is on his turf. She's a woman. He's a man. This is kind of what people do. We're just doing what people do in this situation, right? Could have said that. But not only does he not take advantage of her, he's very much aware of the situation. And so he concocts a plan and carries out this plan to ensure that Ruth is protected, that her reputation is protected. And so what I take from this, along with what we read earlier in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
is that in this interim time, the Lord is not unconcerned about our holiness. He's very much concerned about it. And so maybe the, the question that needs to be asked is, are you? Are you concerned about the way others see you? Are you concerned about your reputation? Are you concerned about your walk and your holiness? Listen to Paul's words to the church at Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 11 too. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin in Christ. It's easy for us to get distracted or to get lazy or to, to get neglectful while we're waiting. But the Lord clearly says, no, 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 no. This waiting time, the, the very purpose of this waiting time may be for, for God to grow you in holiness. And so I want to challenge you today. If you are not committed to that, to commit yourself afresh in this regard, well, we've looked at godly patience and the priority of holiness. Lastly, this morning, I want us to see here in our text the Lord's provision. The Lord's provision, and we need to recognize that in this interim time, the Lord has not forgotten us. He's not relegated us to a, uh, a state where we have to go without where we lack where he is insufficient where he is absent no he is working on our behalf and our text points to this in several ways first i want you to see that what we are witnessing here as the story unfolds is not just redemption but full redemption remember that that ruth has addressed nail has addressed boaz as what a redeemer this is the role that Boaz has in this story. But what I want us to see is that this is a full and complete redemption. This is shown to us in this way. If you'll go and look at verse 17, we see there that Ruth has is, is come back and is reporting to Naomi. She says, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, i got to be careful not to get ahead of myself because it would be very easy to do so here. So I'm going to try to rein myself in. But what I want you to see Boaz doing here is he's sending a signal to Naomi. Hey, you're part of this too. Folks, it would have been very easy for him to just say, hey, <laughs> an older guy, I've got me a young girl, i got me a young wife. But Boaz is thinking, no, 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 no. What are my full responsibilities as a redeemer? It's more broad than me just getting what I, what I would like to have out of this deal. No, there's someone else I've got to take care of. And, and what's Boaz going to get out of taking care of Naomi? Now, this would be the perfect spot to insert the mother-in-law joke. Nope, not doing it. 
you all have seen the 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 meme or the gif or whatever that says it's a trap that's what this is and i'm not falling for it but what i want us to see here is that boaz is looking not simply at what he is going to gain but he's looking at all of his responsibilities as a redeemer he's going to fulfill every obligation that is required of him and it reminds me so much of what our Lord Jesus did and, and, and what he said when he came to this world. Uh, Jesus was not insufficient, incomplete, unhappy in any way in glory with the Father. But he left all that aside and came into this world that hated him, despised him rejected him and he tells the disciples the son of man came not to be served the king of glory came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many full and complete redemption this gift to naomi shows us not only her inclusion in the redemption that is going to be given here but it also shows us the abundant blessings of our redeemer as we await his return that is there is an emphasis not just on her inclusion but how abundant the blessings are that boaz gives to her look with me again in verse 15 and he said bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out so she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, brothers and sisters, what stands out here, and we may not be able to see it in the text, but what stands out is just this overwhelming abundance. Now, what makes it a little bit tricky is the text doesn't tell us the unit of measure. Uh, we see lots of times uh, an ephah is mentioned as the unit of measure. Well, this probably would not have been the case because that would have amounted to probably 200 pounds uh, or, or more. And we know that uh, Ruth could not have carried that much. But more likely, this unit of measure would be something called a siah. And it's still exceedingly generous 50 to 60 pounds of grain uh, so much so that Ruth may not have been able to pick it up but Boaz puts it on her now she's she's probably a, a fit gal but she has this humongous uh, pack tied up in this cloak that she was wearing of grain and this is the picture that that is seen walking in the door when she gets back to Naomi and our first thought early here in the text is probably that, okay, well, well, he, he's given that to Ruth. But we find out later that that's not the case, right? Now, this is a special gift for you, Naomi. And he wants Naomi to know, I haven't forgotten about you. You're a part of this. And this is just, I'm sharing everything I have with you. This is just a, this is just a, a foretaste. And so it is for us. Waiting can be difficult, but let us remember the overwhelming, abundant blessings that the Lord has poured out on us now. 
Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What do we lack now? We lack nothing. If we can recognize it, if we can see it, we would see that the Lord has given us. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, already you have everything you need. There's nothing we lack. The Lord's provision, perfect and complete and full redemption, abundant blessings. And I close with one final idea, and the final idea is the man's determination. The man's determination. Verse 18 again. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Brothers and sisters, we have to wait. We don't have to wait long. As I mentioned last time, in all eternity, this wait is going to seem like just such a little tiny thing. <laughs> we need to see it in terms of eternity. It's not a very long wait, but it is a wait. And what's happening while we're waiting? It would be easy for us, maybe we're tempted to think and that, that Jesus is far away. He's forgotten us. You may be waiting for something that's very important. <laughs> Maybe you're waiting on something you think that, that you know is God's will. It, it's a need in your mind. Well, we must be encouraged to know that Jesus is at work. And he has determined that he is going to settle this. But he's going to do it in his way, in his time. And in the meantime, he's doing things now. Do you, do you know that? I mean, we, we think back to the cross and we recognize what Jesus has done and we praise God for that. We have no salvation without it. But Jesus is working now. What's he doing for you? He's gone to prepare a place for you. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> but think about that. Jesus told his disciples, I, I have to go. I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place. You're on his thoughts. You're on his heart right now. He's preparing a place for you. He's not out there doing something for himself. He's in glory, and his people are on his thoughts. He knows. And he's praying for you. He's making intercession for you. Whatever it is that you're waiting for, that you're praying for, that you're looking to God for, Jesus is praying for you. He may not be praying for the same thing. But He's praying. He's making intercession. He's right there at the Father's throne mentioning you by name. And He is most assuredly going to settle this matter in your favor. I began this morning with quoting Hebrews 9.28. I want to conclude with that verse. So Christ 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Uh, our Lord is coming again. And we're waiting for that, but let's not forget that he's come. And he's dealt with sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> and the hope that we have as we wait is grounded in that gospel truth that the Lord Jesus has dealt with sin. So what else is there? Only good. There are only good things in your future. Regardless of how it looks, regardless of how it makes you feel, regardless of how you feel right now today, there is only good in your future because the man is determined and he is going to settle this matter. Paul says this at the end of 2 Timothy. He will bring me safely home. That's what's going to happen to you if you're a child of God. And that's the question that I want to present to you today. The very last thing that I say to you. Are you a child of God? And do you know that rather than just marking time, you are waiting for a great and glorious Savior who's going to come and bring you home to Him one day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word. What a great encouragement it is to us. What a challenge it is for us. And not everything we, we see in your word makes us feel good. We don't like to wait. But we pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts godly patience and endurance. We pray that as we're waiting, we would be mindful to pursue you and to pursue holiness. And Lord, we take great courage and, and great contentment today. We have great assurance because you have made a commitment to your people and you are going to settle the matter this we know with all our hearts. Just as sure as you have come and dealt with sin, we know that you're coming for us again, and we long for that, and we eagerly await your coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.